0: listen to an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. It is not to be confused with a legal investigation. Opinions expressed are solely those of the participants. The following contains adult themes. Listener discretion is advised.
1: This time on Missing Molly, Edward's story. Edward Thomas is a 46-year-old, University of Virginia-educated, Charlottesville-based artist who claims he was Molly Miller's lover for six years. Other people have confirmed this as well. Thomas was reportedly the only suspect that the police questioned. The following interview has been edited for clarity and time. So how and when did you meet Molly Miller?
2: I met Molly in the late spring, early summer of 2012, we were, both Anson, Parker, myself, we, we had been longtime friends, arrived at the same time to uh, Gaston Wyatt, which is a high-end woodworking company here in Charlottesville, where both of us would collect scraps of wood for different building projects. So we were both there loading up wood from our mutual friend who worked there. And there was this beautiful young woman that I had never seen before. And I introduced myself to her and said, hey, I'm Edward, I'm Anson's friend, Edward. Who are you? Oh, I'm Molly. And I said, well, how do you know Anson? And she said, oh, I'm his girlfriend. And I I never knew Anson had a girlfriend. And Molly just said, oh, that's because he kept me hidden for eight years. Wow, it's
1: quite an introduction. So what was your relationship with Molly, professional and otherwise?
2: Well, within a month of that first meeting, we were hanging out and, to be frank, had sex for the first time within a month. And we started doing art projects together. And I I brought her to my house. She saw all my architectural, specifically masonry projects. Mm Mm-hmm. And was very impressed and wanted me to show her how I did all this stuff. And one of the first things we went we did was we went to uh, this old um, this forest with the ruins of a brickyard near both of our houses. And I showed her where there's a whole bunch of bricks that could be salvaged to turn into her projects. That was that was kind of one of the first projects we did together.
1: Did Anson Parker know about your relationship?
2: He seemed to just not not care about it. I mean, he, she didn't go into any lengths to to hide it from him. Like she would hug me in his presence and nearly kiss me in his presence or say, I love you. Oh. And it it just seemed like he was totally okay with it.
1: So this wasn't a secret. And this was actually confirmed by a friend of yours that I spoke to a woman who said that she actually asked Molly, why don't you marry Edward? And until she said that, she didn't even know about Anson's existence. I found that to be quite interesting. To be clear, you weren't the only lover that she had. Is that correct? There was another, at um, least one other man?
2: Yeah. About two years before her death, so t- 2015, I think, I learned of And she didn't tell me that they were lovers, but... Mm-hmm. When he took her to a several week trip to Europe, I kind of assumed, mm-hmm. but she never told me that, that they were lovers.
1: How did you feel about her having other lovers? I mean, if, if, am I correct, based on what we've talked about, you were monogamous to her, is that correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was fairly monogamous. I mean, I didn't have a choice. I I mean, here she is with a f- alleged fiance living with this guy, mm-hmm. so I couldn't expect her to to be monogamous to me, and, yeah. and I, I, I was felt just incredibly lucky that I had any kind of relationship with this wonderful person.
1: Did you ever try to convince her to leave Anson Parker?
2: The very first time we made love, she, she told me that she would leave him for me in a, in a heartbeat, and then I spent the next six years trying to make that happen, but I wasn't too pushy about it.
1: Did she ever say why she wouldn't leave him? No. And let's talk about some of the things that you and Molly
2: did together. So she was a model for your paintings. Yeah, she would she would model for some paintings, and then also we would just sketch together, sketch each other for fun. Mm-hmm. She would go out painting with me, mm-hmm. and she rapidly caught on to oil painting, which is the bare bare minimum of instruction for me. Kind of kind of like with the masonry, you know mm-hmm. i. I told I showed her how to lay a couple bricks mm-hmm. and how to mix some mortar, and then she was off and running.
1: Wow! And so um, you were. The impression I get is that you were friends as well as as
2: lovers. Very much so. I mean, more friends than than lovers. The the sex was incidental, almost.
1: Approximately, how many times were you maybe, guys intimate maybe- in the
2: four or five times period in In six six years years? yeah wow um no we were we were best 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 friends i have one more
1: question uh given the nature of your relationship did Mm -hmm. you ever provide her with money i did approximately how much
2: the time of her death she owed me 700 i i would either loan or sometimes she would pay them back and sometimes i would just forgive them Mm -hmm. but she would come over to my house for loans saying she needed the money for her carotid or for a doctor's appointment her carotem, I knew how much it cost. It was around $280, which when, when I heard that, you know, her, her card had been used for $300 approximately when she was missing, I'd, instantly I was like, oh, that, that sounds like her carotem.
1: So her carotem alone was $280
2: a month. Approximately, yes. Approximately.
1: And is it true that you even bought her a truck?
2: No, I didn't buy her the truck, but I paid for all the maintenance on the truck. Oh, Either either myself or her, her other boyfriend.
1: Who bought the truck for Was that her fiancé? I don't know. Can
2: you tell me about some parties that were held at your house? Approximately two and a half years before her death, I was introduced by a friend to a particular older gentleman who saw my house, specifically my, my wine cellar. It's underground. I built it five or six, seven, eight years ago, and it's a stone vaulted room. Mm -hmm. And when this gentleman saw it, he said, hey, you know, I'm into um, the BDSM scene, and this would be the perfect BDSM room.
1: And for our listeners, that means bondage, domination, and sadomasochism. In other words, being tied up. Yeah, kink dominated. Right. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: So he he and his girlfriend told me, "Hey, would you, would you like to to have some parties here with some fun people, some fun, beautiful, interesting people?" And I was just like, "Sure, okay, why not?" I didn't see any any problem with it at the time.
1: Well, yes, everyone was, cons- and, you know, I was consenting I was, adult, like open
2: minded, um, single, self employed. Yeah.
1: So. Uh, these parties, would they, I heard them described as orgies, would that be correct?
2: I don't know if you'd go far as to say that. They were parties with groups of people, some of whom were just clothed and standing around and making small talk and drinking, and other people would go into another room or the wine cellar for a period of time and get naked and do various things.
1: Did various things include BDSM? Yes. Okay. And, okay. And, and group sex that did occur? Yes. Okay. And my question is approximately what percentage of these parties did Molly attend?
2: Oh, <clears throat> I would say maybe 20%.
1: Really? So was she around people that you didn't know? Because one thing that kind of surprised me is that you had people you didn't even know showing up to your house for these parties. Yes.
2: And how long did these parties go for? Like, what years? Let me clarify it. I was not the host of these parties. This particular man and his girlfriend were. I just allowed them, foolishly in retrospect, to take place on my property. And I didn't really even care to partake in them. I would often disappear into my painting studio adjacent to my property
1: when when I interviewed some people, all of whom wanted to remain anonymous for obvious reason, they said the big joke was, oh, Edward's not even getting laid at these sex parties, that you would go off to paint or you would go to bed. Put it crudely, you really didn't seem to be getting too much from these parties, at least sexually, physically. Is that, is that correct?
2: Right. I, I felt at the time that, well... You know, may, maybe it'll burnish my reputation as a eccentric artist that I host these events. But I, 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 yeah, I wasn't getting anything from them, other than it was interesting.
1: You weren't even getting like any sort of compensation as far as like rent oh, or no, food or no, anything no, like no. that. Yeah. No, I these- mean,
2: there would be. You know, beers would end up in my. F- no.
1: So Molly was around people, though, that you neither you nor she knew because they were showing up at these yes. parties. Can you give me a range of what the female participants were, the age range?
2: It was mostly females that I witnessed when I was around the house during these parties. And they ranged from 18, 19 to late 30s. And the men? Their age range was was pretty much in their 40s, to 50s, to 60s.
1: So there was quite a gap though, between yes. the ages of the women and yes. the men. Did the Charlottesville police ever ask for a list of people Molly had been around, or, or did, did they ever ask you specifically, like any people that Molly knew, any people that she might have been around in the past no. couple months of her life? No. And how long did these parties persist? I mean, wh- when did they stop?
2: They stopped when Molly died. I was not in the mood to party after that.
1: Absolutely. And my understanding is you had a falling out with the couple that arranged these parties. The couple that was
2: hosting these parties, I had a major falling out with him primarily.
1: And to your knowledge, did Anson Parker know about these parties?
2: To my knowledge, no.
1: And some of the male participants were married or had long-term partners. Yes, yes. And the thing that surprised me the most was the proliferation of photographs. I s- saw photos of these. It was pretty clear what was going on. Mhm. And
2: they didn't seem shy about taking photos at all. I-, I mean, you would think they would people would be discreet of these kinds of events, but
1: some of them were, were pretty prestigious people. They weren't the sort of people you could say that, that, that stare. Yes. Yeah.
2: Charlotte Fillings that one would recognize their name.
1: When was your last contact with
2: Molly? At 4.24 p.m. Friday, December 29th, 2017. She texted me a smiley emoji and I'll be there Sunday night at my New Year's Eve party and I'll bring you the money I owe you. Mm. That was it. Did
1: she say how she was where this money was coming from? No. And approximately how much money did she owe you?
2: She owed me $700. How did you know that Molly was missing? I got a text Saturday night at approximately 8.30 from Anson Parker, first making small talk about dumpster diving, which is something that he and Molly and I all did for building material, and then saying, oh, by the way, have you seen Molly? Did she crash at your house last night? I haven't seen her and was just wondering— and I said, no. And I, I think I asked, it, is her truck there? And he said, yeah, she's, she's gone without her truck and without her phone. So that's when I found out. And then um, I, at 11 o'clock, a friend sent me a screenshot of a missing persons um, notification on social media for her. And then at midnight on on Saturday the 30th, I got a call from... Uh, a police officer asking if I had any knowledge about the whereabouts of Molly Miller.
1: Will you explain your interactions with the police when they arrived at your home?
2: Well, the police arrived at my home on Monday, January 1st, New Year's Day, at approximately 10, 10.30 a.m., and I was cleaning up from the uh, small New Year's Eve party I'd had the night before. Mm-hmm which was an absolute horrible party to host because I was a wreck. Molly was missing, but I had already planned this party, and I was going to be either a wreck by myself or a wreck surrounded by friends. Mm -hmm. So two detectives.
1: And and let's just to clarify, in case anyone's wondering, this was an absolutely straight um, party, just a traditional party. Okay.
2: So two detectives showed up at my gate approximately 1030, I was overjoyed to see them and let them in because I wanted to help them. Mm -hmm. Um, So we sat down in my library and they questioned me for about half an hour. Mm -hmm. Then after questioning me, they said, Mr. Thomas, according to her phone, you are one of, she had a very close circle of friends. You are one of four and we're going to each of those individuals and asking to search the property just to make sure she's not hanging out hiding out here so I was a bit taken back but I I said sure I searched my property because I I was thinking if I denied it it would take it would waste time for them to go get a search warrant Mm -hmm. and I had nothing to hide Mm -hmm. so they searched my property I have a three-story house, mm-hmm. every, every floor, mm-hmm. top, uh, top to bottom, every closet, spaces smaller than closets, like chest, blanket mm-hmm. chest. Wow. They were looking for a body wow. or pieces of a body. Wow. Um, then they searched my uh, adjacent uh, empty lot and my my little art studio on that. And then just as they were about to leave, they said, Mr. Thomas, we'd like to take your phone down to the station to make sure everything you said checks out. And again, I was very taken aback, but I I I was like, sure. Okay, I surrendered my phone to them, again thinking if I didn't, they would waste time trying to get a search warrant. So that was my interaction with the police then.
1: Just getting back to that, Molly was in contact with more than 4 people. I just doing the math, she she wasn't she,
2: she said, according to her phone records, she had a very close circle of friends, basically four. Hmm. And I, I, they never explained who the other three were. Uh, you know, if they, if they searched any of these other houses, I, I've come to gather that they didn't.
1: And again, they never asked you. Did Molly interact with any other people, or, or, or can you name some people she interacted with? No. And and you've expressed to me that they knew that you two were
2: lovers. I told them right away. Oh. That we were lovers mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm.
1: and Because um, I
2: figured they would know that if they if they searched her phone, they would see our texting.
1: True. And uh, also, were you visited by Anson Parker's co-worker at UVA?
2: Yes. Sunday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, that morning at approximately 11 o'clock, a man appeared in the most bizarre fashion on my property. My house... It sits on top of a cliff, about a 25 foot high concrete cliff, mm-hmm. and at the top is a very narrow, like 12 inch ledge, and then a, a a chain link fence, and then my property. So, I came out into my kitchen and saw a man shouting at me through through the the glass door, mm-hmm. standing perching on this ledge, clinging to the fence. And I was just shocked and he, uh, I heard him say the word Molly. And so I, I came out and, and, and he said, hi, hi, hi. I'm, and I'm so worried about Molly, I know you are too. We have to put our heads together to find her. So I said, why don't you come around to my front gate? And so I watched as he clambered down the cliff mm-hmm. um, and then squeezed through a, a gate that he had, he had squeezed open um, mm-hmm. and then came to my front gate where without me asking him, he gave me his entire CV. He he said the police are useless in in this. They they can't do anything. I myself has have had a daughter go missing, and I had to find her myself. Let's let's put our heads together and find Molly. And then he said, let's walk the railroad tracks between your house and her house, because because we know she often walk those and look for physical evidence. So I, I was just okay. So it's a it's about 15 degrees freezing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we we walked the tracks with my dog. And while we're walking, he says, So what do you think happened? And I said, well based on on the missing person's report where it says her after she left her house, half an hour later at 9 p.m on Friday, Anson's bank card was used for $300 at Harris Teeter. I said, well, I know that Molly every, every month went to Harris Teeter to get either a money order or cash, and then walked across the street at, at Barracks Road to take it to FedEx to pick up her her monthly carotid package, which was about $287. Mm-hmm. So I told this guy, I think what happened was someone picked her up at her house mm-hmm. and drove her to get the money order and then FedEx. Mm-hmm. And she was gonna sell him half of the crotum in order to afford her own. Mm-hmm. And then something went bad. Mm-hmm. So he said, Oh, that's a great idea. Have you told the police that? I said, No. He said, Call the police. I called the police and and told them that. And they said, Thank you very much. Then we're we're on the tracks and we're at a junction of two major rail lines mm-hmm. where there's there's a scrubland, which in the summer is a homeless encampment and i point that out and he says oh that's great um and he goes over to to the edge of this uh this barrier made out of pallets and and brush and and cups his his hands around his mouth and 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 shouts hello gentlemen hello is anyone there we're trying to find a missing woman and at that point i was like this is ludicrous it's it's 15 degrees there there's no one it, it's obviously abandoned mm-hmm. so then he says, I got an idea. Let's go back to your house. I'm going to drive to FedEx at Barracks Road and see if she was there Friday night to pick up this package. And I said, great. And less than 20 minutes later, he texts me saying he's at FedEx. And they told him that Molly picked up her package Friday night alone without her dog. So I, w- I was just very suspicious of the whole, the whole thing. It, to me, it seemed like a wild goose chase that he took me on
1: so you didn't feel like that you were actually looking for Molly you were
2: i felt like i i was on a wild goose chase being it, it just seemed absurd but at the time i was in shock and i was willing to take order and do anything and this guy impressed me with his credentials
1: um who do you know who named you as a suspect in Molly's disappearance
2: no all i know is that Within 20 minutes of the police being there, and I got the feeling that I was definitely a suspect. Especially once they started searching my property.
1: Was Anson Parker getting back to the relationship? Did you view him as a rival in your eyes?
2: We started out as friends like 20 years ago, and then once I started my relationship with, with Molly, he became more of a friend of me, mm-hmm. and I did see him as a, as a rival.
1: Okay, another uncomfortable question. Does he currently have a protective order against you, and does anyone else?
2: He does, and Molly's mother and stepfather do, and this man does as well.
1: This is the part that was very surprising to me. You said you deliberately set out to get restraining
2: orders against you. I set out to do that for two reasons. The, the whole case and the story had been basically silenced. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to keep this, the, the case in the news. Mm-hmm. So I figured if I could get a restraining order, protective order against me, that would, that would be cause for another story mm-hmm. in, in the media. The other reason is because I figured restraining orders are reciprocal protective orders. So I would send creepy text messages and emails to the three people. I would do things like take surveillance photos of Anson and Molly's house, and then send them to him.
1: Uh, did you worry, though, about that damaging your credibility? I mean,
2: I, I I knew it it would, but I didn't. I mean, I was at my wit's end for a strat for something that would get this story back in the news. Did you feel, though, that for an outsider,
1: though, looking at this, they could be like, you know, why is this man harassing these people that have lost? Their partner and their daughter. I mean, did no, you? No, did I didn't you re- stop
2: to think about that because all I wanted was justice for Molly. to Find out what the hell happened to Molly, and to get this story covered in in some form of media. So I was willing to sacrifice my reputation for that.
1: Well, you know, you did get you did get media coverage as a result. You prepared I did. a press statement. Do you think that Molly killed herself?
2: Absolutely not.
1: Is part of that because there was no suicide note?
2: There was no suicide note. There was no suicidal ideation leading up to it. She was the happiest she'd ever been. She had plans that weekend with me, my party. Um, The method in which she allegedly killed herself is basically impossible after lots and lots of research into that. Also, as as a personal, my father committed suicide. And so I know... Um. What suicide looks like and what it looks like that leads up to it. And I know that, you know, Molly, if she was to commit suicide, she would have left not just a letter, but a manifesto or live streamed it. I mean, she, you know, she had a history of putting on YouTube videos, you know, confessional videos Mm -hmm. and other videos and she was very melodramatic. Mm-hmm. And and also, if she was going to take her life, she would have done it with pills and red wine outdoors in a beautiful location. Not the way which it's alleged that she did. Not the way that her body was found.
1: By the way, um, you she had access to your house, did she not? Of course. And you do have prescription medication. Yes. Including anti-anxiety medication. Yes. Which, if somebody could... And I have a wine cellar
2: full of red wine.
1: Did Molly ever talk about the future?
2: Yes. She was really excited to to continue her, her masonry projects around her house. The last project I remember that she did before she died was a big paved star in her back garden. After her death, her aunts showed me pictures that Molly's mother had posted on Facebook of Molly's induction into this thing called the Order of the Eastern Star, but I found it was a a subgroup of of Freemasonry for for Freemasons women. And looking at the photos, I found that she had been inducted in the embodiment of Ada, slain by her father in the Old Testament. And she was inducted by her master Mason, her stepfather. Then her aunts found that Molly had named her nascent masonry business Eastern Star Masonry. So I was, you know, Molly had never told me any of this thing about Freemasonry and Order of the Eastern Star or that she had named her her company. She had had told me that her stepfather was in a biker club but not that it was a Freemasons biker club and he was a master mason. I didn't really know anything about master masonry. I just thought it was odd that, you know, I taught her (laughs) brick and mortar masonry but she was also involved in, in Freemasonry, so anyway.
1: Maybe she just liked the name?
2: Maybe. Um, She was excited to raise funds to purchase the the empty lot in front of her house to become a dog park. She was excited to do more modeling for Dave Matthews band videos. There was no signs of, of depression at all. And I talked to her every day
1: you say to critics that say that given your loss, maybe you just have very deep grief? I mean, it's always hard when you lose somebody, particularly, you know, to suicide. There's often this thing called I would, survivor's guilt. and you I think, would tell them f- to go to
2: hell. Absolute rubbish.
1: Like survivor's guilt. That thing Absolute like rubbish.
2: That. Like I said, I've have, I have seen suicide. I have experienced suicide of a close one. And Molly did not kill herself.
1: How would you like people to remember Molly?
2: As an incredibly kind and outspoken person that cared about the suffering of others, cared about injustices in the world, sought beauty, created beauty out of rubbish, literally, and was just an incredible, kind, wonderful, fun friend.
1: What would give you
2: a sense of closure? To know... How Molly Miller died, the okay. circumstances around her death, because I don't believe, and I'm not alone and that it was a suicide and I I, I I would like the police to explain why they conducted the investigation, the search, and then the the investigation after she was found in the in the way that they did, because to me and many others, it was absolutely completely inept.
1: Did you have any other contact with the police officers after Molly's death?
2: Yes. Detective Oberholzer, after they searched my house and took my phone, left his personal business card telling me to contact him if I found out anything. At one point in the first week, Detective Oberholzer told me that the mother was impeding the investigation by publicly declaring suicide.
1: Did he go into specifics about that? No,
2: he didn't. Okay when i found out through a local reporter that molly had been found hung i called detective Oberholzer and asked him if the implement of hanging had been examined by a forensic knot as in k-n-o-t expert which i knew was standard in most investigations of hangings to determine if the victim tied it or someone else overholzer acted like he did not know what i was talking about when I explained, he said, oh, that would be the uh, job of the M.E. At one point, he uh, texted me to ask if I knew of any foul play because they couldn't find any. And I was shocked. I was like, you're asking me to f- <laughs> foul play? And by um, that
1: point, you had been cleared, right, as a suspect?
2: I assume. if uh, Yeah, I, I assume. I don't but, know. Although, although it kind of set me back because I was worried they were, like, fishing me, like, at, you know. So I consulted my lawyer before I uh, answered that.
1: And what was the lawyer's advice?
2: I forget. I think he just said, "Do you ha- no, do you have any proof of foul play? But I, I was I, after that, I was under the impression I was not a suspect anymore. And finally, he told me to stop contacting him with tips and leads, saying every time you contact me, it... It takes me back to that, the horror of discovering her body, because I knew her, and it was just really traumatic for me. And I was kind of shocked at that.
1: Did he ever clarify how he knew
2: her? No, both he and Detective Declan Hickey said they knew her. They said that to me, and they said that to her aunts. And I, I wished I had asked how they knew her because she didn't have a police record, just a couple of minor traffic violations.
1: That's correct. I did a background yeah. report, and that's all I found. The, she the had only, no the
2: only possibility I could think of was when I, when I looked at Detective Oberholzer's LinkedIn profile. I saw that previous to working with the police, he had worked at the um, UVA health system specializing in IT. So I was like, well, maybe he was coworkers with Molly's fiance. Because Molly's fiancé often brought his coworkers the two blocks from the hospital to to their house after work to hang out, and they would meet Molly. Who knows? But anyway, he said, we will probably never know what went on in that house that night. And one day in the future, we can swap theories over beers. I mean, here I went from a suspect to having a beer summit.
1: Do you think it's fair to say that Molly that there were parts of her life that were very much a secret to the people that were closest to her, including her family, including you.
2: Yes. If- she led, she led multiple lives. It, it seems like in retrospect, there were things I, I, she would disappear for long stretches with no explanation. Mm-hmm. And then when she resurfaced, Oh, my, my phone battery died, mm-hmm. things like that, that just, it, it didn't make sense. But I didn't want to I didn't want to push it. Her life was compartmentalized very Mm -hmm. much. Yes.
1: I think you would like to clear up about yourself. I mean, I had heard about your parties. That was not even part of my lifestyle. I heard you were into S&M. And again, I don't care what consenting adults do. If that's your cup of tea, great. But I walked away with a very different impression of you. If you don't mind me asking, are you yourself into BDSM?
2: No, I'm not. I'm, I'm eccentric, yes. I'm not crazy, I'm, I'm not debauched, I'm, you know, I stay to myself, I'm pretty antisocial. My whole life revolves around making art.
1: You do create this illusion of this bohemian artist, but you actually come from an upper-middle-class background. You're you're educated. You have a degree in architecture from UVA, and most right. surprisingly, you were even a frat boy at UVA. I,
2: I was. For... And, and
1: you're a UVA Legacy, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I was really surprised to learn that because... You know, again, this whole idea about perceptions of people. And I mean, when I first met you, I I don't mean this to sound offensive. I didn't know what to expect.
2: What happened was inspired by my great aunt and uncle who were bohemians who built their own house and built their own medieval style stone Vaulted wine cellar. I was inspired. I I built my own, and and then I learned if you build that they will come. If you build a a stone underground vault, the kinky people will come and find it. And if and if you don't have better sense to say no to them, like I didn't, they will turn it into a bondage dungeon.
1: It sounds like you regret those parties. Is that safe? Very to say? much. Yes. No. And by the way, I'm just editorializing. I've been inside that notorious wine cellar, and I can say, if you wanted to make that into a sex dungeon, you did a very poor job. UVA Architecture School would not have been happy because there's no way you could have crammed multiple people. It was clearly built for a wine cellar. It was amazed by how little room we were both getting claustrophobic. It's in pretty. There. It's a
2: pretty claustrophobic space.
1: And that floor is not very it's comfortable. Not, it's by nine the way. by
2: nine feet yeah. and about eight feet high. I yeah. guess
1: my question is, I mean, d- does it bother you, perhaps, getting back to a serious subject, that perhaps in these preconceived notions about you – oh, Edward Thomas is this guy with a dungeon in his house. Edward Thomas is the guy who's into tying people up. Does it, does it bo- Edward Thomas is the guy with restraining orders against you. Does it make you upset that perhaps you were dismissed as being some sort of head case? I mean, because rightly or wrongly, people believe what they hear. They think, "Oh, well." This- people
2: haven't heard. That's the problem with this this case thus far. No one's heard any facts. All it is is rumors. They're, the the police haven't said a word. There's been almost zero media coverage, and. I've I've learned recently 99% of the public thinks Molly killed herself by a drug overdose, uh, which that, couldn't be further from the truth.
1: That is true. Uh, to clarify that, I thought she had died of a drug overdose. I thought that perhaps the kratom had something to do with it. Spoke to people who were told of the results of the autopsy. Molly had no drugs or alcohol in her system. She had only a trace amount of kratom, which suggested she was not abusing that supplement. And she actually, it was death by hanging, which most people people do by not know. by a belt know, by a belt
2: while touching the ground by a belt while sober
1: one thing that was interesting to me was she she was an expert climber she literally grew up with a cave on, on the she grew
2: mountain. up caving and climbing and she she briefly held a job as the the climbing tech at Blue Ridge Mountain Sports mm-hmm. um she I had saw her own ropes to prove that and, yes and no and and when i found out she had been found hung i told the head detective i said if Molly had hung herself, she, it would have been with an expertly knotted rope tied off, expertly anchored. Mm-hmm. And, you know, did did you send, because at that point I assumed it was a rope, did you mm-hmm. send the, the rope uh, to a forensic, knot KNOT scientist mm-hmm. and, or specialist? Mm-hmm. And he had no idea what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. I had to explain. Like someone that analyzes knots mm-hmm. in nooses.
1: And you learned that because um, your friend, who later acted as your attorney, he had been a prison guard and talked about knots. Yeah, and, and,
2: and he told me the very first thing you learn in prison guard school is if you found a, a body hanging, dead or still alive, you do everything you can to preserve the noose, to preserve the knot, because from it, people can, you, you know, forensic experts can tell if it was a suicide or not
1: and it sounds and and based on what you're saying the detectives did not have it. The
2: detective didn't know what I was talking about and then when they, I I explained it to him he he said oh well that would be the purview of, of the medical examiner. And then we later we found out it was not a rope but a belt mm-hmm. which is even more unlikely because a belt it, it tends to be wider than a rope and spreads out the pressure on your neck and would make it more difficult it, more lengthy and painful than if it's a thin cord to to cut off your air supply.
1: One final question, kind of a metaphysical one. Do you have any sort of religious or religion or faith? Do you have any concept of an afterlife? Do you ever think that you'll see Molly? I
2: I never, before I was a strict atheist, but but after this experience, I no longer am. I do have a, a, I now believe in an afterlife and I believe that I will be reunited at some point with her.
1: If you could say one thing to her, what would that be? If you, if you had a chance to speak to her for, say, a minute or two, what would you tell her?
2: I would tell her, Molly, I'm doing everything in my power to find out the truth for you. Everything in my power. And I won't cease until we know the truth.
1: Wow, that's pretty powerful.
2: And I'll see you soon. Not too soon, because I've got a lot of work to do. But we'll see each other again.
1: Thank you, Edward. Thank you. And that's Edward's story. Next time on Missing Molly, I sit down for a series of questions about how I became involved with the story and the unanswered questions in the investigation.
0: Thank you for listening to Missing Molly, an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. Opinions expressed have been solely those of the participants. Missing Molly was written and produced by Kimberly Lowe, with engineering and editing from Mike Friend. Original artwork from Natalie Jacobson. Music composed and performed by Sam Whedon. Digital assistance is from John Taylor, with special thanks to Todd Ely, Lori Goodbody, Stephanie Bottoms, Josh Bontrager, Tina Hicks, Courtney Stewart, Lloyd Snook, and edward thomas for more information you can contact missing molly podcast at gmail.com